Hello everyone and welcome to Does That Hold Up, the movie podcast about your childhood. I'm your host, Eli Trilson. On today's episode, I'm talking with comedian Sam McDonnell about SLC Punk. As always, you can follow me in the podcast on Twitter and all the social media at Eli the Robot. You can also rate and subscribe on iTunes. And if you live in Toronto, keep a lookout for Pisky Dog's next show, probably at the Ossington. That's uh, Sam McDonnell's and my old sketch troupe. All right, let's get into it. I just remember thinking it was the coolest thing, like, at, like the soundtrack, the clothes, the like all the characters. Like, I just thought it. It was the coolest thing I had ever seen, probably. Yeah. What was your What was your first introduction to punk? Was this it? Had you already been getting into the scene, or what was? Yeah. The... Well, I'd always like uh, just from like much music. I feel like actually had back kind of before it got a little more glamorous. It had that old logo. Uh, like I think they were pretty good at showing like kind of alternative stuff, and I liked like Nirvana when I. I was in grade five, probably just because it like smells like Teen Spirit and some of the other more uh, accessible songs. And then I remember on the South Park, um, Brat, uh, South Park, like, do you know that South Park soundtrack CD? It's like for the episode Chef Aid. That's what. Oh called. yeah, yeah. It's actually like loaded with like Elton John, Ozzy Osbourne, DMX, Primus, System of a Down. Like it's star-studded, and Rancid had a track on there, and I remember hearing that and thinking that was like amazing and then i kind of got into blink 182 and some of the more popular things at the time and uh yeah it was like i've always had been really interested in history too so i was always like looking into the roots and reading band books and stuff like that so like i was always more of maybe a student than a practitioner (laughs) maybe it's it's interesting i'm i'm the same way uh maybe not as much anymore but if i find some new music i like i just end up pulling it apart and I'm like, well, what else did they do? And what were those side projects? And what was this? What oh, was that? Yeah. I just read, uh, I think, I can't recall if I mentioned it to you, but it, I read the No Effects uh, oral biography. No, I've heard really called, good things. It is. It's great. Good read. Highly recommend it. Uh, but it's really about each of their lives and, like, not, it's not about their music at all. So that was like, I was kind of like, oh, you're not, you can't even do one sentence about uh, what made you write The Decline? Like, yeah, <laughs> nothing true. like, so. Nothing, not to knock the book, which was awesome, but like I've always, I have that same urge. Like I'm really curious about why. Yeah, it's I. I came into Rancid through, which I I barely know Rancid, but I I found out about Rancid through because I got into punk. Probably like yeah, grade grade eight uh, after I was done being into Led Zeppelin, um, <laughs> and I the first punk band that really hit for me was actually the Distillers. And the frontman from that used to be married to the to uh, Tim from Rancid, and so Brody, yeah, Brody Dowler, yeah, yeah. punk rock's first couple, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this this movie was it comparable to? Uh, so to to kind of sum up, it's it takes place in 1985 in Salt Lake City. Uh, Matthew Lillard uh, from Scream and Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of our generation's finest actors. Indeed. Um, although he is good in this movie, like to give him credit. And I, he, 
like carries the movie and you can't take your eyes off him. And whenever there's a serious scene, he delivers it. But I felt li- almost literally every performance is really on point and probably well-directed, has a good deal of subtlety, except the two teenagers when they see them as teenagers. The teenagers are so stiff and bad. It's uh, I was just thinking that. I just rewatched it this morning. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. not only is the acting terrible, but the uh, the dialogue is really bad oh, that is i think that might be like that was one thing i learned on the rewatch was that scene of their introduction was probably the worst scene in the movie and just made them like if that was how what kind of people they were if that was the only glimpse you got you'd be like they suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it and it comes it comes in the middle of this really heavy scene and it just took me out of it because totally i so uh bad that's okay so it you know just to just uh summarize what i what we're gonna see from me today i think was like Still love the movie, like I said. Like I think so many asp of it, aspects of it are on point and magical. But there's some fuck, there's some scenes and lines where you're just like face palm. Like that was that was rough. Like, and a lot of that is you know being 25 years later and having a lot like. But you see a lot of that. Uh, maybe it was intentional. That like bully mental mentality in punk rock. Like certainly right there when Bob comes and he's like, "Fuck that D and D shit." Like. <laughs> That's so, you know, as an adult, you're like, that is the most childish thing. Like, it's a fun game. Why is yeah. that not punk? <laughs> yeah, completely. Uh, well, there, yeah, it's so, Salt Lake City, 1985, Steve-O and Heroin Bob are the two main punks of the scene. Uh, Heroin Bob, uh, ironically named because he's afraid of needles and doesn't do any drugs. Uh, and it's sort of just this series of, of vignettes and, and figuring out their lives and and their, uh, not manifesto, but their ideology, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's like, uh, for me, there's a lot about, uh, you know, Steve-O talks openly a lot about chaos and uh, order or whatever. And I think it's like part of that, the other side of that is like fate and destiny. And uh, if he's destined to be a punk or be a lawyer or whatever like whatever uh you know free will all that jazz yeah it's interesting with they basically they show and there there's let's just go through the characters there's um there's there's trish who is like the manager of a head shop uh she's in her 30s she's heroin bob's girl and heroin bob is head over heels and with her and and she this this movie is full of kind of stereotypes but at the same time it i maybe because of the performances i don't know i see myself in all of them like i know these people for i sure feel absolutely the same way i like i think uh that i don't know if you've seen any of slc punk 2 no i've kind of avoided it on purpose you were a wise man i watched 10 minutes and it was pretty painful like visually stylistically it looked the same but i, I just like I saw three characters and I disliked all of them. They have a bunch of the same actor, the old actors returned, but uh, the characters are just like not real or likable. So that was a turnoff. But uh, yeah, for Trish, for example, like I can definitely remember people who reminded me of that. And she, like she kind of moved beyond punk rock and was just into general living, I guess, or like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's into general, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, philosophy. I don't know. Yeah mindfulness and yeah yeah. and uh you know it's interesting because steve-o i in in winnipeg and there is a pretty 
intense punk scene in Winnipeg. I don't know if I wasn't allowed to be part of it or if just like I was too afraid to try to be a part of it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And like that's a I totally know that feeling like I remember uh, the, fir I would, the first punk show I went to was a band called, like, the first, like, big show was a band called Sick of It All, where, like, New York hardcore legends, and people, there was all these, like, big, beefy dudes, like, literally just flailing their elbows around in the mosh pit, so I just, like, physically felt that that would not be safe. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was my, and, uh, yeah, I don't think those punk rock scenes, and especially how violent it used to be, was, uh, it was pretty scary, unless you were, like, maybe even 18 or 19 when like you know I, I don't know I definitely know that feeling yeah did you would you go into Toronto from port to see punk shows or what was the scene like in your hometown uh it was cool actually like um I think that's one thing about the movie for sure like Salt Lake City it's it's like a lot of movies like it ends up being about the place it takes place whether that's Salt Lake City or America or like and you see that a lot in, like, I don't know, I think St. Thomas or Port Stanley, where I grew up, uh, had a punk scene because it was close to London, which is, like, fairly large cultural center, and Toronto. And also in St. Thomas, it was all these, like, factories, like, like so inevitably, you know, those shut down and people get laid off and there's, like, kind of some urban decay, even though it's a small town and, like, uh, it was built on the railroads and the railroads stopped running. So there was, like, this cool punk scene when I was in, like, grade school that I only knew about because uh, I would see them occasionally with their mohawks and combat boots and disgusting punk rock apparel. And, uh, <laughs> and but then I also knew about these bands, like, once I got into grade 9 and 10. There was a few of these, like, the younger people were still left over. And, uh, like, I heard about this band called The Living Dead who'd performed around St. Thomas. And they were, like, a horror punk band, like, primarily influenced by the misfits and i got one of their tapes and uh but they're legendary for like pulling like i guess you could call them pranks but really like bold things like throwing like cow guts and at the audience <laughs> like like really crazy weird stuff and this other band the collisions whom i like know very well and um, like consider them some of them good friends of mine they um they would do these like wrestling stunts where they'd like put each other through tables and like cut their faces open and like <laughs> So there was this, like, pretty strong, bold punk scene there, which was pretty cool for me, certainly. And, like, definitely more, um, it's just, it was very small. Like, you know, there'd be, like, 20 or 30 people who you knew all by face or name. Yeah, that's kind of cool about smaller places or towns kind of in the middle of nowhere, though. It's, like, whatever is going on, people are really passionate about it, even if no one's paying attention. Oh, yeah, you got nothing else. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it, it seems in some ways to me that punk has always kind of been, maybe this is partially the the culture sort of putting us on it, but kind of like a blue-collar affair at its, at its purest. Um, and with Steve-O in this movie, I like he, he comes from rich people, and, and his dad went to Harvard, and he, he says at the end, um, you know, I guess I was a poser all along. And yeah. <laughs> And it's interesting because it is it is watching it again because I saw this movie for the first time a couple of years ago. It's you're right about that that part where the the kid heroin black was like, no, D&D is for faggots. What are you doing? And that's not punk. That's that's the desperation. This this whole movie, the characters in some way like 
just stink of desperation of, of trying to belong and so i, oh, I yeah. see it yeah. totally differently than when i first saw it and uh i totally agree that's an excellent point because going through some of my uh my notes here i i pulled a, a not punk move and i made some notes <laughs> I have, like falling like some equations here falling in love does not equal hardcore blind date equals not punk apologies not punk but like it's there's all these like uh I, and the people I knew growing up who, like, I considered to be very, uh, you know, like, active or, like, representative of that rebellious or punk rock or whatever mentality, like, they didn't spend a lot of time worrying about what was punk or who thought what was punk or if their pants were punk or stuff like that. Like, I think a lot of, I think more than the general, more than half of the, the punks out there don't really care about that shit, like, or try to define everything, you know? Yeah, and I think that's that comes with or just maturity. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. Yeah. Oh, I think it's just or just like cool people generally, you know, like. And then I guess the flip side of that is that like bully mentality or people like witch hunting in any like subculture. Like that's not punk or that's not a uh, that's not new wave. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's the uh, no, we're we're a group of outcasts. Ah, oh, but you're not like a misfit enough, so you're not punk. You're not this. You're not that. Did you ever read Snake Pit? No. The the comic zine by So for about a year I lived in this apartment with this huge uh punk rocker and and he had dozens and dozens of zines in our bathroom. And one was this comic called Snake Pit by this guy Ben Snake Pit and it's this daily comic of this punk rocker and it's really interesting because it's him going to shows. It's he's like Mitch Clem or something. Like it's him going to shows. It's it's him working shitty day jobs, but it's such a good illustration of like, no, no, you don't have to be like an asshole to be a punk. It's actually pretty unpunk to to do that. But when you grow up trying to get into any scene, I mean, I eventually moved over to the indie kids, and it's like, well, let's all just stare at our feet and not dance. But oh yeah, yeah when. When you're a young person, it's almost like you want to be a gatekeeper to a scene. Does that make sense? Oh, I think, uh, yeah, as long as you live, there will be that urge. And it, the scenes just change, like, or, like, the, the topic or your whatever interest you have. But, yeah, I think people maybe get too tired to kind of, like, actively, physically keep these scenes moving with shows and mosh pits and things like that. Yeah, it's exhausting. Oh my god, and who says you have to mosh pit every night? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's uh, definitely something that I, I kind of rec realized it, but didn't even like uh, put it together until you said that, that maybe that's more of a commentary on this movie that these kids are young and it's not like, uh, it's not like sustainable to keep up that, like, is this punk? Is this, are you a poser? Who's a poser? Like, whatever. Like, who cares after a little while? Yeah, and it's, like like you said it's it's exhausting to have to constantly worry about that and kind of the back half of this movie is is steve-o slowly deciding whether wanting to or not like what being a punk is about because first it's you know his old friend sean who accidentally took like a hundred hits of acid at once and just fried his right. brain out <laughs> he's he's now homeless and and Steve-O's like, well, that's actually kind of the punkest thing there is. But then he has a conversation where he finds out he got into Harvard and from Shooter McGavin. Oh, man. <laughs> Another 
casting is really good in this movie, but like Shooter, man, that guy, I've never seen him in a bad role. He always, any small role, he brings so much like timing and nuance to it. Huge fan, whatever his real name is. Yeah, he's quite good, but it, it was weird watching it because it took me out for a second, but he's, it is a different role. He just, he has a very like upper class face. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the sculpted face of authority. Yeah. And yeah, so he runs into Sean. He, he finds out he gets into Harvard. He beats the shit out of a guy that his friend with benefits, Sandy, is sleeping with. Yeah, that seems uh, that's pretty intense. A little scary. It is, and it and it's it's such a good portrayal of the the contradiction of Steve-O, which he he himself freely admits that there's basically a video essay in the middle of the movie where he talks about how he's for anarchy and for chaos and not following any rules but there's inherently structure and rules in doing so yeah the rules of war yeah, yeah. Um, i thought it was interesting he never apologizes to sandy for uh, interrupting her coitus with that violent assault that's true he doesn't he admits that he was wrong but he never you never see her again no that's interesting i don't thought about that yeah he, he's very fuck man he's he's a punk but yeah I guess, like, I mean, it's funny, that's, there was, a, like I was saying, there's a couple weird lines that just, like, jarred me a little bit, but when Trish and Bob take him out to the salt flats or whatever, and he's kind of, they're, like, pine, he, like, it's after he just told off Bob and basically said they weren't friends or whatever, he's being a jerk to everyone, and then they just take him out, and, like, I guess Trish and Bob calm him down a bit, and he's he says something about Sandy, and Bob's like, you should fucking kill that bitch, and I'm like, what? I thought you were just preaching... Like, <laughs> just like, sometimes people in the movie say things that I'm like, make me do a little double take, and then they just forget about it. But yeah. it's punk, you know, it's punk, whatever. <laughs> There's, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking right now for uh, kind of more ridiculous lines, because it, it is a lot of, th- this movie is so much like, I I would say this movie is, I'm repeating myself, but it's, 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 even though it's about punk and it's about Salt Lake City, it's really about any kid trying to get into any scene and any identity when you're, like, just out of high school. Yeah, yeah. And, because uh, it's, I mean, it, it seems like the stakes are really high then. Because it's like, what am I? Yeah, and you like to think that, that Steve-O Steve likes to think that he's this huge punk and, you know, he seemingly, seemingly doesn't have a job. But it's like, well, you're able to afford this by by having a rich family yeah and and you got a four-year college education uh for pre-law and it and it's all it's all mixed up and i i should say i like how this movie like his relationship with his dad isn't bad no no they uh they they seem to have genuine affection for each other and his mom too because he, he gives his dad a shit for leaving his mom at one point there yeah uh and and so at the end he he meets with heroin bob and uh trish say well we know this girl sandy that we think you might might like uh, I, uh sandy's the first one I, I forget the second one. Oh, sorry uh brandy brandy oh they rhyme i didn't realize that yeah that's why i forgot <laughs> um and and she has something 
fairly uh, important to say, which is, you know, you're all about getting punk and anarchy and none of it matters, but you spend so much time on blue hair dye and, and buying punky clothes. And I think it's absolutely fine to like that stuff, but it, it is, uh, to, to, to quote Wikipedia, it's more of a fashion choice than an actual political philosophy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Which I think I thought that was a kind of funny on the Noah scene too, where it's like <laughs> he meets his he falls in love at first sight and she immediately debunks everything he feels like. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's a lot of on the nose stuff in here. Yeah, it's just fun. But like the the fashion thing is interesting too because uh, in my neighborhood there's like I've seen this at like Riot Fest when I went to that last year, which is a, quite a contradiction in itself because it's like the punk rock music festival, but there's a Coca-Cola tent and tons of corporate sponsorship. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. I, I went to Riot Fest and it was like, and playing this year's Riot Fest is metric. And I'm like, that's not really, well, okay. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, so it's it, it was a fun day, but like I, I would see this uh, punk rock couple, uh, couple and they actually end up living in my neighborhood and they're both like, pre- like mohawk studded leather punks and they have their like son, I think, who's like, got a little mohawk and like denim jacket and all that too so it's like the fashion thing it's funny because i feel like it's not even on the same like level at at the end as like like i mean steve at the end of the movie really he could just continue dressing like a punk and he could still learn the same lesson you know what i mean like you can dress like a punk one day and then wear a suit the next day it doesn't really matter yeah totally i guess it's just the movie continuing its sort of adolescent view of maturity it 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 severs it it severs it down the middle it's like well no this is the next state this is the next part of his life now he wears a suit now his head is shaved and it's like yeah yeah. it it feels weird to me that like it i i will say the one one of the parts of the movie where i'm like really is that he gets into harvard (laughs) yeah like his dad his dad just had to fake an application and uh and he's good yeah, you, uh, there's some sort of interview or something for Harvard Law, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, presumably, presumably they meet you in person. Yeah, um, and it could have been any other, like, okay, he went to school for for pre-law and he got really good grades, and if nothing else, he's he's shown to be very analytical, even if it's sort of falsely analytical. So that that plays for me, but then it's like, man, why couldn't he have gone to like Western or something? Just any run-of-the-mill, like, law school, I would have been fine with. Liberal arts colleges that would have law programs, I would think. I think it's just like a... I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit a... It's just a stark contrast. Just a thought I had, like... So Steve-O is living off his parents' money to pay for the nicest flop house I've ever seen (laughs) and also go to college. But Bob's dad's a schizophrenic. Like, maybe he has a mom or something, but where's he get... Like, he went to college and graduated, too, and he lives... Like, where's he get the money? Yeah, it's a good point. It's it's never brought up how, how Bob survives. Um, and actually, re-watching this, I kind, I kind of... I don't know if related's the right word, but I think I liked Bob more than Steve-O. Yeah, because he... Uh, well, he just kind of comes around in the middle of it. And because of Trish, I guess, but he's just very, like, he, he's a quite an endearing character because he'll do that, like, like you know, dude, like, I, like, love you, like, <laughs> kind of qualifying things with, like, 
But uh, he is quite likable and sweet, and I think that's an, another great performance. Yeah, he's he's terrific. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, all those characters seem to have a bit of genuine charm and like quite likable generally. It's it's so funny, even with uh, I was thinking about the because this the soundtrack's killer. The soundtrack's great. Oh my god! I uh, just today I was thinking like, first of all, I probably got into so many bands. Probably the Dead Kennedys through that movie. Uh, but even today, like last night when I rewatched it, there was a song, the Roxy music song that I had never really noticed. And I was like, this is, this song's amazing. I'd never heard Roxy music. So I was just checking them out today and uh soundtrack keeps on giving. Yeah. And there's in the, in the back half of the, of the movie, when, when Steve-O and Brandy meet uh, and, and they start to make out, uh, they're playing a Blondie song. And it's always interesting because I, I really like Blondie, but and, and they're sort of given a pass in the punk world, but it's like, well, they're not. They're they're new wave, and 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 they're more punk than you'd think they are. But it's kind of this thing where I'm like, it's almost like the movie's soundtrack is willing to open up its own worldview at the yeah. same time as Stevo is. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, Roxy Music too, and like the Velvet Underground are in there, more like art rock bands. You would kind mm-hmm. of call this, which is uh. I, Again, I feel like that, like, uh, in punk, like, it has to be hard and fast and, like, sound like shit or, like, <laughs> be produced shittily. Like, I think that's a later kind of addition. And it never really, like, holds up. I mean, because Blondie and bands like, like the Talking Heads and stuff like that, I think they were always intricately involved in the beginnings of all that. Yeah. Steve makes a distinction between new waivers and punkers. And it's like, was there really? Well, I don't, yeah. know. I don't know. Maybe in a, in a like a city, there's a more defined like groups like that, or certainly. I mean, I think like any anything that was left of that like starkly divided subcultures is gone with the internet because you can just access it all at the same time. Yeah, very true. Rather than like hanging out in the punk club or the you know whatever. There's an interesting uh, documentary you can find it on YouTube. It just came out called "The Pursuit of Tone." Have you heard about this? No, I'm not. It's um, it's Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. Oh, my. Yeah, basically discussing his whole history with punk rock and, and he gets into the albums and stuff. And, and the the stuff about the songs, whatever, is, is kind of interesting because in some ways it, it seems like he's retroactively saying that he had a plan with how he played his music. Yeah. Uh, well, let me ask, does he talk about aliens in this? Or does he save that for another documentary? Uh, sadly, he does not. Okay. It, it, it's touched on a little because now he's all about aliens. But there, there's an interesting part where he talks about how going to punk shows in Southern California, in suburban like San Diego and, and whatever, and seeing a show and him realizing that the music of punk rock at that point anyway was actually kind of secondary to the attitude of punk rock. And and you could be yourself, and you could do all these crazy things. Like you talk about friends of yours doing, like wrestling wrestling shtick and and stuff like that. Where it's like yeah, like performance art. Yeah, punk is allowed to be theatrical, even though initially it was sort of this. Even even when it was supposedly the realest thing there was around, it was still very theatrical. Oh yeah, I mean the Sex Pistols were entirely you could like they were basically a manufactured band and like. I think like that Malcolm McLaren guy who 
was probably dressing them and things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I think at its worst, punk can be anti-art and anti-intellectual and have all those kind of like nasty tones as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot more nuance to it. It it's it reminds me of the Sex Pistols thing. Is that like you'll see old pictures from the fifties of the Beatles touring through Germany dressed in like leather jackets and smoking and stuff. Yeah, uh, and then they were cleaned up by the record company to all be wearing like suits and 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 look really cute for six years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm friends with a guy who I like very dearly. But at, at times, his ideology is so... He's, he's in his uh, early 30s, and at times his ideology seems almost... It, it does seem like, like a 15-year-old. Like He was talking about how there's a way to make it so that the world doesn't need money and everyone just does their jobs. And I kind of didn't know what to say to him. I was like, I don't think that's true. Like We still need to pay people money to do the job no one wants to do. It's like, no, man, everyone just will pitch in. It's like a communist utopia. And I was just like, <laughs> how do you honestly still believe that? Oh, my God. That's a... Uh... Well, kudos to him for having that kind of idealism because I don't even believe in democracy anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's I I can't point. I think I think at the core of of my disbelief in it is like I don't believe anyone could agree on anything for long enough in such a huge number that something like that could get done and be accepted. Oh no, no, Lord no! And there were like, I mean, I think. In England and probably more on on the West Coast, I don't know, in, in America, there were those bands who were, like, militantly progressive, political, anarchist, vegan, uh, and, like, quite noble and, at like, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic. Like, there's always been that, that, like, vein of the punk scene that is, like, very politically active. But then there's also punks who are, like, hate that stuff and think it's, like, lame and not punk, like... There's no agreement. No, there's not, and it's and it's all about because I think I I've read articles before about how how grunge was sort of the last genre that caused any sense of fear in society. Yeah, other than like racist fear of like hip hop or. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like I, I guess I don't think that's going going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, sadly not. But it, it's like, because when, when grunge hit, which was like late 80s, early 90s, punk had already been commercialized. Totally. For better or worse, not that there was anything... Like, if you like if you listen to early Green Day and, uh, quote-unquote, before they sold out or whatever, but it, it, it does sound like they're too influenced. It does, sound, it does sound like The Clash. It does sound like if you listen to... The Ramones. The Ramones is really catchy. Like, there's a. It's not a fault to be catchy and to have a weird pop sensibility in it. But suddenly, oh, because record companies were interested in it, it became, oh, you're sellouts. You're this. You're that. Punk wasn't scary anymore because punk became punk pop in the in the m mid to late nineties. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't. I feel like you really can't in a video capture or a video or like a single capture like some of the violent and grotesque elements of the punk scene that made it really what it was especially in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it got it got cleaned up like And actually like in the movie one another thing I kind of noticed is 
amazing soundtrack and like even the score is really good too but the characters don't really talk about their favorite bands or like why they like a band or a type of song or style you know that's true it, it's probably it's not time for it you know there's so much going on but no that's a good point though it, it, it is all about yeah they never once talk about the music yeah right except at that like i think when steve was in the mall he just talks about how it's like we did it harder and faster and we did it with more love baby and yeah. then they're at that show with the british band and they like it's kind of commented on but more about the fight that they get into i don't know yeah where it's the the anarchy in the uk the the bullshit of it of, of people over yeah. in the states because they were rebelling against uh, a monarchy and the states technically already did that <laughs> yeah they got that out of the system long ago yeah uh, it's it was funny with the fight because I've I'm very lucky in that I've been in like two fights in my life, but with a fight at a show and I've seen them break out, um, and then at the end and they're all still hanging out and drinking. It's like oh man, like you're the other dude I punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, that seemed very realistic in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, like where I kind of grew up going, like the scene was so small that if I don't know, I didn't see many fights. But uh, I'm sure probably in a little earlier time there was a little more like a little more violence going on somewhere. But yeah, like I I, I think that's certainly to a degree there's that like uh, it's like part of the part of the game, you know. If you you get hit in the mosh, but you help someone up. Like I've heard so many like punks echo that like kind of funny cheesy refrain like you just knock someone down in the mosh pit and help them up, man. Like. <laughs> Uh, but have you, are you familiar with like the recent, well, it's not even recent really now, but like both Ben Weasel of Screeching Weasel and Fat Mike of No Effects, like one after the other had these weird videotaped viral incidents where they assaulted fans. No. Crowd members. Oh, dude, it was a whole, (laughs) if you, if you ever have a, about, I don't know, maybe around an hour to kill reading articles, then uh, look into it because first of all, Ben Weasel was at a show. And uh, it might have been part of some fest. It was at South by Southwest. So, like, a new media, like, festival. Uh, Some woman was throwing ice cubes at him, and he kept telling her to stop. And he ended up punching her in the face, and it was filmed. Jeez. Then there was a big nasty public fallout between him and Fat Record. So Fat Mike and Ben Weasel got in this kind of war of words. And then... Was Screeching Weasel on Fat Records? They were for... A couple periods there. I think they were at the time when the uh, when the event went down. Okay. The punching, and then Fat Mike was at a show in Australia, and uh, <laughs> some kid jumped on stage and like touched his back, and he kind of pushed him to the ground and kicked him in the head. Jesus. <laughs> and Fat Mike's like reasoning was like, "Oh, my back was really." Or that day <laughs> it was just and then like it was turned into this public war of words but anyway long story short like they both uh ben weasel said something like this in an open letter like they are both products of a bygone era where punk shows were inherently dangerous and violent and like bands would assault audience members and like <laughs> and vice versa like yeah i think that was uh that was extinct long before or at least largely before you and I ended up going to shows and things. Yeah, definitely. Like th- there was still that aura around punk shows, but you would go and you would be fine. 
Yeah, I think, like, it had developed as a subculture enough that it was mostly positive and about, like, uh, you know, meeting new people or being with people you like and working on things, whether it's shows or art or zines or, you know, music. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Uh, I forgot Ben Weasel was in the Riverdales. Of course. That's oh great. yeah. I, I mean, despite his uh, his natural orneriness, I am a huge fan of his music, and uh, yeah. both of those bands are two of my favorite punk bands for sure. Uh, it's funny to me that I almost expected when you talked about Fat Mike decking a fan for Fat Mike to be like, "Oh, sorry, just like you know, if that's outside of my sex dungeon that I keep in my home, it's not okay." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well. He ended up apologizing and uh, taking a picture and buying the fan a beer or something, so... Okay. It's all well and good now. Yeah, that's good. It was Australia as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you have uh, coming up with, with Kiss the Dog? With any shows, or are you on the Twitter, or... Uh, yeah, do you I, I, I am on Twitter. I'm pretty sporadic, though, uh... We we're on a little hiatus with Kiss the Dog. We put on a show in in uh, St. Thomas, actually, the uh, where I grew up, punking out, and mm-hmm. uh, at the end at the Princess Avenue Theater, <laughs> where I uh, went to drama camp. Cool. Also, you know, some punk stuff and some not punk stuff going on, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, but that was like very successful. And the plan is to do this thing we call the Summer Classic there every year, and uh, after that, we're taking a short hiatus. But I would imagine. We were previously doing a monthly slot at the Ossington, which That's is right. a cool bar, and uh, we might go back there, probably, probably within the month or something. Nice. Where is that? Because that's not the lower. Sorry, Ossington. you were saying? Uh, no, that's not the lower Ossington. No, the it, is right, it is right across the street, conveniently. Uh, okay. Uh, it's like, it's a really cool bar, and then there's a back room that is very like red brick and. Uh, Dylan described it, our friend, mutual friend Dylan Tran, described it as green, a Greenwich Village vibe. And nice. actually, at our first show for that, we had a character named uh, Jim the Punk who came <laughs> and, uh, and criticized us for selling out and getting a monthly show. So it all, that, I mean, that's a funny thing about SLC. Like, I've come to this point in my, uh, in my creative life or, or whatever that, like, punk rock has become one of my favorite hilarious like a subject that i just find hilarious <laughs> something that i love deeply but now like to parody it or uh, satirize it or like just kind of make it cartoonish is such a such a source of joy and laughter for me yeah well it's i remember chuck klosterman talking about it he's like there there are two periods of punk that i'm a big fan of and the rest of it i find utterly ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think like you can uh you can definitely there's some joy in the Yeah, it's like at times it is cartoonish. Like <laughs> punks look like cartoons. Like yeah. more than cartoons look like punks. <laughs> it's just about finding yeah, it's, it's, it's it's finding a place where you feel accepted and whether yeah, that's punk or whatever. And it's you know, it's like I remember uh in in high school like I went through all these like different stages where I like different kinds of punk, pop punk and like street punk and oi punk and whatever, like <laughs> all those stupid uh, uh, subgenres. But like, I remember also like uh, I felt for sure that the performing arts and like learning something like dance or being in the school's production of a Shakespeare play was like not punk. And I, or I had to justify it to myself or someone else in some way. And it's like those, 
those are the things that if like if punk isn't dead and it needs to stay viable then it needs to like be purged of all those like aversions mm-hmm. well but according to slc punk 2 punk is dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, actually, funny enough, like, the main character in it is Heroin Bob's son, which is kind of, there were some cool ideas, but, like, it was just so obnoxious I couldn't stick around, and he's a death punk, so I don't even know what that means, but he's very, like, poetic and likes death, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) All right, well, (laughs) I kind of want to check that out, even though I think I would bail like you did. See, oh, you'll bail, but see how long you can make it, I'm interested. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks for coming on, man.